the Bible. This isn't your typical book. So this isn't your typical book club. It's the Bible Book Club. Where you don't even have to read the book because we read it for you. Sounds like a dream come true. Welcome Welcome to to the the club. club. Well, if you recall, over the last several episodes, Moses is teaching the Israelites something that really just comes down to two things. Love God, love people. That's mm-hmm. it. That's all All it's about. All the laws, all the sacrificing. It's all just about loving God and loving people. And if they can get those two things right, they're good, right? But it's easier said than done. <laughs> and so last episode was really one of my personal Bible benders. And we learned about the Mosaic Covenant, which showed the Israelites how they had to atone for their sin. There was all the sprinkling, the blood on their burnt offering, uh, from the burnt offering on the altar and then on them. And then contrasting that with the ultimate sacrifice, Jesus, who died on the cross, and his blood is sprinkled on every person who believes in him. And that is for the atonement of sin. So contrasting the Old Testament and the New Testament, and that just all brought it all together for me in my ultimate Bible bender to end all Bible benders. Cool. Very cool. We're going to have more of that today. And I actually had a few Bible benders because I have to be honest, these are not chapters that I have poured over <laughs> in my life. And so um, because they're hard, they're hard to understand, but I have really loved getting this cemented in my head. So where are we? Like you said, we are powering through this creation of a nation, Israel. And we've done the Ten Commandments, which were the moral laws. We have done the Book of the Covenant, which you just mentioned the civil laws. Then we took a break from the laws and returned to the narrative of our story with that celebration that you mentioned, the blood of the covenant and that heavenly feast at the feet of God that followed in chapter 24. And that's where we stopped chapter 24. Now in chapter 25, all the way through 40, we will learn about the third group of laws, the ceremonial law, but not without a couple narrative interruptions like we had last week to make it interesting. So the overview of this is this. The laws in chapter 25 through 31 that we're going to, some of which we're going to cover today, record the plans for the tabernacle. Then we're going to have a little whoops story (laughs) in 32 through 34, and Aaron is going to get in big trouble. Then the laws in 35 through 39 record the construction of the tabernacle. So that's why we get a little confused. We have a group that covers the plans for the tabernacle, then another group after our little whoops story that cover the construction of the tabernacle. They are slightly different, but if you just happen upon them, they could sound alike. Can anyone tell that Susan has a grandbaby? Whoopsie daisy. Whoopsie daisy. (laughs) Whoopsie daisy. (laughs) Then lastly, our last chapter 40 is going to set the stage because they're going to take off on their journey into the wilderness, which leads us into Leviticus. So today we start with the ceremonial law, chapter 25, and we're going to start with the purpose of the tabernacle. This is a huge theme in the Bible, and it's easy to get lost in the elaborate detail that we're going to read about of the tabernacle and lose sight of what it means to the book of Exodus, what it means to the lives of the Israelites, and what it means to the greater book of the Bible. Yeah, because sometimes, right, it can feel like just a whole bunch of monotonous laws, and it's like, why? No, but this is the tabernacle, which is a big deal. Yeah. 
And we're going to wander through the detail because the, the tabernacle is so unique in its role that it plays in the larger story of redemption in the Bible. So there is a reason, I promise, for these chapters. Here we go. Starting where we ended the last episode with these words from chapter 24. For six days, the cloud covered the mountain. And on the seventh day, the Lord called to Moses from within the cloud to the Israelites. The glory of the Lord looked like a consuming fire on top of the mountain. Then Moses entered the cloud as he went up on the mountain and he stayed on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. So you can imagine me, there's a lot of numbers in that one little paragraph, and I love numbers. So many numbers and so little time. All right, Moses heads back up into the cloud, but this time for 40 days and 40 nights. And that's exactly what it says, 40 days and 40 nights. And we have heard that before. The 40 days and 40 nights, just like Noah, is God starting over? Why would he use the same words? Well, if you don't know that story about Noah, please go back and listen to season one one episode seven through nine when we were in Genesis. It rained on Noah for 40 days and 40 nights. In this case, though, Moses goes up to the water. He is in the cloud for 40 days and 40 nights. Now with Noah, God wiped the world of sin through the death of people. With Moses, God is going to provide a way to wipe the sin from people through the death of animals. Mm, And remember, he promised Noah he would not do it that way again. So he's like, well, I guess I got to find something. I got to find a new way to get rid of that sin, but it always involves death. Now, Moses's favorite number has to be 40 because again, he has 40 days and 40 nights up on the mountain. His life of 120 years is divided into three segments of 40. We've learned that earlier, 40 years in Egypt, 40 as a shepherd and 40 leading Israel. And then of course they ate manna for 40 years. And then Moses sent the men to explore the promised land and they went for 40 days. So there you have my 40 analysis just in the book of Exodus. Now, what about this number seven that was mentioned in this little paragraph? Seven days. Well, we have heard that number over and over again, just like creation. And we're going to talk about creation a lot in the next three episodes. So for six days, the cloud covered the mountain. And on the seventh, the Lord called to Moses. Now, the seventh day is, uh, and the number seven are recreation themes. What does this allusion to creation mean? Why did God do it that way? What is he doing now? Well, he created the world in seven days. Exactly. And God, then rested. Exactly. And that's what he's trying to say here. God created the world in seven days. And then in that creation, the garden, he had fellowship with Adam and Eve. So he made it and then he relaxed and had a fellowship. The garden was God's first dwelling place to commune with mankind. That is the first place he met man. Mount Sinai is the second. God has already met Moses on the mountain several times. And last episode, he had fellowship with Moses and the 70 in covenant celebration. Now he's on the mountain. He calls Moses up on the seventh day. In this recreation, God is creating another place to commune with the people. He's calling Moses up and he's saying, okay, this is where we've met. Guess what? I'm making a new place. It's like the first mountaintop experience. But the new place is going to be down off the mountain. Mm. And that's why he's, he's, it's always like God is creatively preempting them to think, okay, what am I doing now? What's the hint? In chapters 25 through 31, the phrase, the Lord said to Moses, occurs seven times. Now, we're going to read those seven times over the course of the next three episodes. So don't expect it all to be in this one. But what God is saying to Moses with those seven times is that I'm recreating the seven days. And then there's going to be the seventh day, of course, is going to be the coolest. So the first six concern the building of the tabernacle and its furnishings. 
The seventh introduces the Sabbath command. Rest with me. Worship with me. God is making a connection for us between creating the world and creating his next dwelling place, the tabernacle. I'm going to meet with you in a new way, he's saying. It's going to be a new mobile dwelling place where the heavenly presence of God is going to live with them on earth. The Israelites carried the tabernacle throughout their journey to the promised land. It went from Eden, not mobile, then they got kicked out of there, to the mountain, can't take that with him, to now, okay, I'm going to come down and and live with you in this place that I'm going to create. The design of the tabernacle points back to the garden, that place of perfect union that the Israelites are now looking forward to because they got kicked out of it with Adam. Does that make sense? It does. So as we read the description of the tabernacle, recall the words of creation in Genesis. As Moses lays out the design for the tabernacle, it mimics the design of Eden. Think about that. In Genesis, God's design is Eden, within Eden, the garden, within the garden, the tree of life. In the tabernacle, there is the courtyard, within the courtyard, the holy place, and then even smaller, the most holy place. God tells Adam and Eve to work and take care of the garden in Genesis 2.15. God tells the priests to work and take care of the tabernacle in Numbers 3. So when Adam and Eve disobey and are exiled from the garden, God places cherubim to guard the way back into the garden and to the tree of life. They can no longer have access to, to walking with God and the tree of life. In Exodus, God tells Moses to place the cherubim on top of the ark, and that is where he is going to, his presence is going to reside. There is so much imagery and design in the tabernacle, but one thing that is missing that you would probably find in other religious places of worship are idol images, because God forbade the Israelites from making idols or images of God. The only images of God condoned were the ones he made himself. He made man in the image of God, which takes us back to the beginning, to Genesis 1, season 1, episode 2. Lots of back and forth here. However, man is not an image of God to be worshipped, but instead to reflect God's glory and inspire others to worship him. This is the basis for why God created the tabernacle the way he did. That's beautiful because I have never heard the tabernacle compared to the Garden of Eden before. That's so cool. Yeah. And, And the temple is next. After the tabernacle, they create the temple. So the other cool thing is that in this round of uh, a dwelling place for God, he uses man to create it. He did. He gives them the instructions, but actually men are going to create the tabernacle. But this is the whole point of the next 16 chapters, the theology of where and how to worship God. And the only interruption to this theme is the episode of the golden calf, an example of how not to worship God. Yeah, they're going to fall away again and again <laughs> gonna, and again. Yeah. And again. All right, so here's a quick overview of the tabernacle. And we have a diagram of the tabernacle and its furniture if you want to get a clear picture of it in the show notes. The tabernacle has three interchangeable names throughout the Bible. It's called the tabernacle, the tent of meeting, and the sanctuary. In total, between the three names, it's mentioned over 300 times. It is very important. And the tabernacle, like I said, will be replaced by the temple that Solomon will build according to the plans um, that God gave to his father, David. And we know this in 1 Chronicles 6.32 because it says they ministered with music before the tabernacle, the tent of meeting, until Solomon built the temple of the Lord in Jerusalem because they they didn't have to be mobile anymore. They could have a, a stationary temple. There are three, the three rooms of the tabernacle and the items inside of each are, there's the most holy place, which is the most precious and the only thing in it is the ark. Then there's the holy place, which has the table of the bread of presence, the lampstand, the altar of incense, 
incense and the inner curtain or veil. Then there's the courtyard and it has nothing but the other two rooms in it and the bronze altar and the bronze basin. The tabernacle mirrored Mount Sinai with three levels. Only Moses could go to the top level. Similarly, the three rooms of the tabernacle have three different levels of membership for the priests, each room becoming more exclusive and only the high priest can go into the most holy place. Chapter 25. Are you ready? Here we go. The ceremonial law starts with the tabernacle plan and offerings for the tabernacle. The Lord said to Moses, tell the Israelites to bring me an offering. You are to receive the offering for me from everyone whose heart prompts them to give. These are the offerings you are to receive from them, gold, silver, and bronze, blue, purple, and scarlet yarn and fine linen, goat hair, ram skins, dyed red, and another type of durable leather, acacia wood, olive oil for the light, spices for the anointing oil, and for the fragrant incense, and onyx stones and other gems to be mounted on the ephod and breastpiece. Then have them make a sanctuary for me and I will dwell among them. Make this tabernacle and all its furnishings exactly like the pattern I will show you. The purpose of the tabernacle is super clear. He said it right there. So God could dwell among them. Now the opening statement, the Lord said to Moses, is the first of the seven statements that reflect the seven days of creation. The other statement to note is that God says he will dwell among them. This is a first. God intends to be present in a way that he has not done before. Now regarding the plan, it was very difficult for me to read this and imagine how a 1445 BC culture could construct anything so elaborate. My view of the Israelites at this time is it's primitive. I mean, I just picture them as primitive. I know, but I was wrong because I, I looked up some explanations of like, okay, how did the people have all this stuff, this gorgeous stuff? And here, here is a couple uh, examples to explain how they accomplished such artistry without industry as we know it today. So just for the colored yarn, they created blue dye from an intensive extraction of marine shells. Purple was created from the secretion of the gland of a snail and scarlet from the worm Coccus elicus, I don't know how to say that, which attaches itself to the holly plant. And just to dye one robe would have required thousands of these shells or worms. Is that why usually purple and red are royal royal colors of distinction because it it would take a lot of effort for them to get them. Right. But think about this. I picture them as this like band of campers. Now, the Egyptians did give them a lot of stuff. We know that. But still, they're going to create a lot. Now, they did have a little help from the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. We're going to get to that. I love that part of the Bible. So keep reading. In verse 10, have them make an ark of acacia wood, two and a half cubits long, a cubit and a half wide, and a cubit and a half high. Overlay it with pure gold, both inside and out, and make a gold molding around it. Cast four gold rings for it and fasten them to its four feet with two rings on one side and two rings on the other. Then make poles of acacia wood and overlay them with gold. Insert the poles into the rings on the sides of the ark to carry it. The poles are to remain in the rings of the ark. They are not to be removed. Then put in the ark the tablets of the covenant law, which I will give you. Make an atonement cover of pure gold, two and a half cubits long and cubit and a half wide, and make two cherubim. 
out of the hammered gold at the ends of the cover. Make one cherub on one end and the second cherub on the other. Make the cherubim of one piece with the cover at the two ends. The cherubim are to have their wings spread upward, overshadowing the cover with them. The cherubim are to face each other, looking toward the cover. Place the cover on top of the ark and put in the ark the tablets of the covenant law that I will give you. There, above the cover, between the two cherubim that are over the ark of the covenant law, I will meet with you and give you all my commands for the Israelites. All right, so the ark is described first because it is the place of God's presence and therefore the most important. The translated dimensions of the ark are approximately three feet nine inches long by two feet four inches wide and high. It is made of gold. Items in the holy and most holy place were gold. Things that were placed in the courtyard were bronze. So again, as you get to the more um, important places, the metals get more precious. <laughs> so it's not really super huge, like 3.9, no. no. th- three feet nine inches and two feet four inches. That remi- It's like a small rug maybe, but there's so many metals in there that it would have had to be very heavy and not easy to carry. No. It would have no. to be very strong men. No, and you can't touch it. you got to slide these poles there, but the poles stayed in it. And that's why the poles, because they would have to have several probably strong no. men. the poles were you cannot touch. You can't touch the, the poles? The ark. You cannot touch. So the poles were necessary because the ark was so holy, it could not be touched. But they could touch the poles. They could touch yeah. the poles. That's why it had so, poles. So a bunch of men would put the poles on their shoulders, right? Yeah, four kind men. Of, would pick it up. It wasn't, yeah. I don't think it was that heavy that it needs so oh many, gosh, but four. like a lot of metal. No, it was so holy. And, you know, poor Yuza, is it Yuza or Uzza, discovered in 2 Samuel 6 um, that if you touch it, you die. So somebody is going to die from touching it. Uh, and the poor guy didn't even mean to touch it. It was slipping. Somebody, one of the carriers slipped and he reached out and touched it. I kind of felt bad for him. <laughs> he was mm-hmm. trying to steady the thing. Uh, now, the ark is going to be the only item placed in the most holy place. So it is in that room by itself. And the purpose of the atonement cover is... It's going to be where God's going to meet the people above the cover and between the cherubim. Okay. And it's not an ark like what? It's not like a miniature boat like Noah had. It's not that kind of an ark. No, 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 no. It's just What do they call it an ark? It's just a little box. Yeah, it's a box. And as I mentioned, you know, this is, this is, the cherubim are placed on top of it and they kind of mimic the cherubim that guard the gate to Eden. Now, the table of the bread of the presence is our next item. Verse 23, make a table of acacia wood, two cubic. It's long, a cubit wide, and a cubit and a half high. Overlay it with pure gold and make gold molding around it. Also, make around it a rim, a hand breadth wide, and put a gold molding on the rim. Make four gold rings for the table and fasten them to the four corners where the four legs are. The rings are to be close to the rim to hold the poles used in carrying the table. Make the poles of acacia wood, overlay them with gold, and carry the table with them, and make its place and dishes of pure gold, as well as its pitchers and bowls for the pouring out of offerings. Put the bread of the presence on this table to be before me at all times. Well, I know you said you don't think this thing is heavy, but I just moved and I had a couple of plates and pitchers and they weren't even gold and they were pretty heavy. It's going to it's gonna be heavy, but you know, you got all the Levites to help you out on this one. <laughs> the dimensions of the table are approximately three feet long by one and a half feet wide and 
and two feet three inches high. So it's not big. It's not a big table. And it is gold, of course, because it's going in the holy place. And the table will be put in the holy place, as will the lampstand and the incense altar. The purpose. The table is made for the purpose of holding the bread of the present, which are 12 loaves of bread representing the 12 tribes who are under the constant scrutiny and care of God. All right, the next item is the lampstand. Verse 31, make a lampstand of pure gold, hammer out its base and shaft and make its flower-like cups, buds and blossoms of one piece with them. Six branches are to extend from the sides of the lampstand, three on one side and three on the other. Three cups shaped like almond flowers with buds and blossoms are to be on one branch, three on the next branch, and the same for all six branches extending from the lampstand. And on the lampstand, there are to be four cups shaped like almond flowers with buds and blossoms. One bud shall be under the first pair of branches extending from the lampstand, a second bud under the second pair, and a third bud under the third pair, six branches in all. The buds and branches shall be of one piece with the lampstand, hammered out of pure gold. Then make it seven lamps and set them up on it so that they light the space in front of it. Its wick trimmers and trays are to be of pure gold. A talent of pure gold is to be used for the lampstand and all these accessories. See that you make them according to the pattern shown to you on the mountain. All right, the lampstand or a menorah appears 41 times in the Old Testament. So that's a menorah. And it's seven. Again, you have six branches representing six days and then you have the middle of the lampstand, which is the seventh light. Oh, I never realized that's the menorah. That's so sweet. God told them how to make that. So the material of the lampstand would have required 75 pounds of gold. Now we know why when Israel was taken captive, everybody like tore the temple apart. It was all gold in there. It was lots. The design was patterned after an almond tree, and the fir- which is the first tree to blossom in the Near East. With white blossoms, it blossoms as early as mid-December. And I googled it. It's a gorgeous tree. The placement of the lamp is on the south or left side of the holy place. And of course, the purpose you discussed was to light the holy place. However, remember, these are not menorah candles because candles were not used at this time. The Israelites would have used oil with a wick. Okay, the tabernacle and the veil are next. And the description of the tabernacle is fascinating. If you visually want to follow along, remember, check in our show notes. We have a diagram. I'm not going to say a lot about these descriptions because you just need to listen and you'll kind of get the layout if you look in the show notes. But it it was super ornate. The first six verses provide the description of the tabernacle frame and construction. And remember, when we say tabernacle, this is like, it's it's like a, um, a fence of frames and uh, cloth that are huge around that form the courtyard. And then you have this tent in the middle. But the tabernacle is also mobile or no? The whole thing is mobile. The whole thing, even the tabernacle. And I'm going to explain in a little bit how big it was because it's amazing. All right. Chapter 26. Make the tabernacle with 10 curtains of finely twisted linen and blue and purple and scarlet yarn with cherubim woven into them by a skilled worker. All the curtains are to be the same size, 28 cubits long and four cubits wide. Join five of the curtains 
ends together and do the same with the other five. Make loops of blue material along the edge of the end curtain in one set and do the same with the end curtain on the other set. Make 50 loops on one curtain and 50 loops on the end curtain of the other set with the loops opposite each other. Then make 50 gold clasps and use them to fasten the curtains together so that the tabernacle is a unit. Well, it sounds like following a sewing <laughs> have you ever tried to pattern if you sew if you've yeah. ever tried to follow a sewing pattern exactly i sew but i can't follow those patterns oh, it's like I, I just have to kind of go by how i sense all right verse 7 through 14 provide the description of the tabernacle root make curtains of goat hair for the tent over the tabernacle 11 all together all 11 curtains are to be the same size 30 cubits long and four cubits wide Join five of the curtains together into one set and the other six into another set. Fold the sixth curtain double at the front of the tent. Make 50 loops along the edge of the end curtain in one set and also along the edge of the end curtain in the other set. Then make 50 bronze clasps and put them in loops to fasten the tent together as a unit. As for the additional length of the tent curtains, the half curtain that is left over is to hang down at the rear of the tabernacle. The tent curtains will be a cubit longer on both sides. What is left will hang over the sides of the tabernacle so as to cover it. Make for the tent a covering of ramskins dyed red and over that covering of the other durable leather. Okay, I did read what the other durable leather is. They said it might be something like the skin of a dolphin. Is that crazy? Oh. I know that's really weird. Okay, this there is no way rain is going to get on that arc. You've got several layers there. And again, we have diagrammed this for you. The next verses, 15 through 30, provide the description of the wall. Make upright frames of acacia wood for the tabernacle. Each frame is to be 10 cubits long and a cubit and a half wide with two projections set parallel to each other. Make all the frames of the tabernacle in this way. Make 20 frames for both the south side of the tabernacle and make 40 silver bases to go under them, two bases for each frame, one under each projection. For the other side, the north side of the tabernacle, make 20 frames and 40 silver bases, two under each frame. Make six frames for the far end, that is the west end of the tabernacle, and make two frames for the corners at the far end. At these two corners, they must be double from the bottom all the way to the top and fitted into a single ring. Both shall be like that. So there will be eight frames and 16 silver bases, two under each frame. Also make crossbars of acacia wood, five for the frames on one side of the tabernacle, five for those on the other side, and five for the frames on the west. At the far end of the tabernacle, the center crossbar is to extend from end to end at the middle of the frames, overlay the frames with gold, and make gold rings to hold the crossbars. Also, overlay the crossbars with gold. Set up the tabernacle according to the plan shown you on the mountain. Verse 31 through 37 provide, provide the description of the arrangement and furnishing. Make a curtain of blue, purple, and scarlet yarn and finely twisted linen with cherubim woven into it by a skilled worker. Hang it with gold hooks on four posts of acacia wood overlaid with gold and standing on four silver bases. Hang the curtain from the clasps and place the Ark of the Covenant Law behind the curtain. The curtain will separate the holy place from the most holy place. Put the atonement cover.
cover on the ark of the covenant law in the most holy place, place the table outside the curtain on the north side of the tabernacle and put the lampstand opposite it on the south side. For the entrance to the tent, make a curtain of blue, purple, and scarlet yarn and finely twisted linen, the work of an embroiderer. Make gold hooks for this curtain and five posts of acacia wood overlaid with gold and cast five bronze bases for them. The tabernacle was made to be moved. It is basically a series of frames with various curtains covering and dividing it. How they stored it on wagons without touching the ark and moved it all over the desert and then reassembled it is beyond me. I just can't imagine when Moses said, okay, take it down. Like how did all those gold rings they had to store and every little item and I I really cannot even fathom how they got it together. And, And we don't know in the Bible how many times they set it up and took it down. But literally it was, when it was set up, they camped all around it. I mean, it was the focal point for everything they did. So can I understand the tabernacle while it's mobile? Mm -hmm. I don't know why I'm so, I'm trying to visualize it in my head. Very visual. While it's mobile, it's really kind of like a tent and all these curtains that they set up and take down. They can touch all Mm -hmm. of that, but it's the ark they They can't touch. touch. Okay, I'm sorry. I'm getting ahead of us. It's very fascinating. So So we'll all go watch, we'll all go on and and look look at the drawings so that we can understand. Yeah, there's a set of, there's curtains that run all around the courtyard and the courtyard is literally like half the size of a football field. And and that that does not have a roof. It is a huge courtyard. Then in that, so there's, there's, you know, um, a place to enter that. And then of course you have the the bronze altar and the bronze basin. Then there's the, you know, tent part. Where they get to open it. The tent part of the tabernacle, which is covered, which has the holy place and the most holy place. Got it. So let's talk about the curtains. The design, they were made of linen, but they all have these cherubim worked into them. And these curtains are then topped with goat hair curtain, then a ram skin curtain dyed red, and then a badger skin curtain because there's just no way water is supposed to get in on that arc. The veil within is a special curtain because it separates the holy place from the most holy place where the presence of God is above the ark. And only Aaron, the high priest, could pass through the veil, that curtain, and only once a year on the Day of Atonement. So once that ark was set into the most holy place, nobody could go in. But it was kind of going in and out every time they set up. Is this the, the same tabernacle. veil that rips when okay. Jesus is? Well, we're gonna crucified. maybe. I don't know if they made a new one, but yes. And we're gonna talk about that a little. You know, at this point, there's only one. So when they were traveling, God would not, his presence would not be above the ark. The cloud, the cloud would depart. Well, it wasn't a cloud, but the it was angel. just his presence. Nobody actually got to see the presence except Aaron, because he was the only one. They'd set up the ark, they'd set up the tent, they'd set everything up, and then the Lord would inhabit. And only Aaron would get to go in there once a year. So, you know, then they moved to the temple and you have the same thing. Only the high priest can go in once a year on the Day of Atonement. But, you know, that's the whole reason we're going to get to why we have Jesus, because that veil is going to get torn and we all have access. Oh, we're getting so ahead of ourselves. Keep reading. Chapter 27, the bronze altar. Build an altar of acacia wood, three cubits high. It is to be square, five cubits long and five cubits wide. Make a horn at each of the four corners so that the horns and the altar are of one piece and overlay the altar with bronze. Make all of its utensils of bronze, the, its pots to remove the ashes and its shovels, sprinkling bowls, meat forks, and fire pans. Make a grating for it, a bronze network, and make a bronze ring at each of the four corners of the network. Put it under the ledge of the altar so that it is halfway up the altar. Make poles of acacia wood 
for the altar and overlay them with bronze. The poles are to be inserted into the ring so that they will be on two sides of the altar when it is carried. Make the altar hollow, out of boards. It is to be made just as you were shown on the mountain. All right, the dimensions of this altar, it's a little bigger. It's the largest piece of furniture, are seven and a half feet square by four feet, six inches high. And it's thought that the horns symbolize power, help, and sanctuary. I don't know if that's true, but that's what it thought to me. Now, it is located in the outer court. Therefore, that's why it's bronze, gold being reserved for the holy place and most holy place. And I do like how they have matching dishes for each thing. Like this gets bronze dishes, but you know, that that presence of the bread table, that gets gold dishes. Um, it's very handy. Probably makes it easier when they have to reset it all up again. <laughs> yeah. Oh no, exactly. that goes in that room. Yeah, that goes in that room. <laughs> the purpose of this altar was to be used for burnt offerings for sin atonement. And we are going to get into that soon. Next, next week, I think, or next episode. All right. Now a description of the courtyard. Verse nine, make a courtyard for the tabernacle. The south side shall be a hundred cubits long and it is to have curtains of finely twisted linen with 20 posts and 20 bronze bases with silver hooks and bands on the posts. The north side shall be a hundred cubits long and it is to have curtains with 20 posts and 20 bronze bases and with silver hooks and bands on the posts. The west end of the courtyard shall be 50 cubits wide and have curtains with 10 posts and 10 bases. On the east end toward the sunrise, the courtyard shall also be 50 cubits wide. Curtains 15 cubits long are to be on the one side of the entrance with three posts and three bases. And curtains 15 cubits long are to be on the other side with three posts and three bases. For the entrance of the courtyard, provide a curtain 20 cubits long of blue, purple, and scarlet yarn and finely twisted linen, the work of an embroiderer, with four posts and four bases. All the posts around the courtyard are to have silver bands and hooks and bronze bases. The courtyard shall be a hundred cubits long and fifty cubits wide, with curtains of finely twisted linen, five cubits high, and with bronze bases. All the other articles used in the service of the tabernacle, whatever their function, including all the tent pegs for it, and those for the courtyard are to be of bronze. The dimensions for the courtyard and the tabernacle within are quite precise and very geometric. I love the, how orderly it is. They are precise and geometric. And I'm sitting here reading it thinking, why in the world does God care exactly how? I'm going to tell you why. That's a why really great question. Wait. They're a series of squares and rectangles within one another. And again, diagram in the show notes if you're visual and I need to see this. The tabernacle courtyard that we just described was what separated, you know, the whole tabernacle from the people. It's the outer wall. And it was 150 by 75. Compare that to a football field, which is 300 by 160. So it's kind of half the size. It formed a rectangle made up of two 75 by 75 squares. So it's a rectangle, a long rectangle. And inside the rectangle, you could you would find two 75 foot squares. The one square constituted the outer courtyard in which was placed the burnt offering altar, the bronze course, and the wash basin, also bronze, at the entrance to the holy place. Inside the other square was placed the holy place, which was a rectangle measuring 30 by 15, the same proportions of the tabernacle, but smaller, the outer wall. Attached to the holy place, but separated by that veil we talked about, was the most holy place, a perfect square of 15 feet. So half the size of the holy place. The most holy place is half the size of the holy place. As we noted in prior episode, the three-part structure of the tabernacle, moving from greater to lesser space, 
grace and lesser to greater holiness reflects the levels of holiness on Mount Sinai and on Eden. The design of the tabernacle represents a microcosm of creation. The splendor of the design mimics the splendor of the world God created and the precise and perfect dimensions give a sense of order amid chaos. Just like the world was created out of chaos, it was order in the midst of chaos. Okay, the oil for the lampstand. Verse 20, command the Israelites to bring you clear oil of pressed olives for the light so that the lamps may be kept burning. In the tent of meeting, outside the curtain that shields the Ark of the Covenant law, Aaron and his sons are to keep the lamps burning before the Lord from evening till morning. This is to be a lasting ordinance among the Israelites for the generations to come. Okay, so this was a task that Aaron and his sons had to execute to keep the lamp burning. And the purpose was so that there was never darkness in the tabernacle. This is one of the tasks they do not execute exactly, and the results are fatal for half of his sons. Serving in the tabernacle did not allow for any slacking off ever. This was a very important job. And these are the Levites. So Aaron and his sons come from the tribe of Levi. Correct. Right. As we learned back in season one. Exactly. Exactly. Got it. The tabernacle is not yet complete. We have missing instructions about the altar of incense or the bronze basin, but God is going to shift to the instructions for the priestly garment. Why? The missing piece to the plan will be discussed in the next episode. Well, that's a tease. Yeah. What's a club without friends? If you're enjoying the Bible Book Club, why don't you share it? And then you can say, Welcome Welcome to to the the club. club. New episodes drop every Monday and get all episodes now on Amazon Music. As always, head over to susanme.com slash Bible Book Club for show notes from today's episode. Bible Book Club is hosted by Susan Merrill and Heather Rubio. Edited by Buck Buchanan. Produced by Haley Mawatt.